I'm Denise. She's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise. She's a fiction editor. And together, we're The Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome back to The Editing Podcast. So this time around, we're going to be talking about editing crime fiction and thrillers because Louise line edits them and I love reading them. I love reading them for pleasure too. <laughs> which which is a good thing and means that surely then you've got the perfect job. It does sort of feel like that, I must yeah. admit. Yeah. yeah. But then I have to ask you, does editing that stuff ever sort of impinge on your enjoyment of pleasure reading? That's a good question. I think it's made me a little more critical, though I mean that in a positive way. I'm much more likely to look at the book with a critical eye and ask myself, why a sentence or scene works so well? What's building the suspense? What's hooking me in? How has the author kept the writing taught and engaging? And then I end up bringing that learning and discovery to my client work and teaching. So it's definitely a positive thing. It's not a case of me going, oh no, I don't like how they've done that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But so don't you find that kind of interruptive? I don't tend to dwell on it for too long just maybe take a screenshot or, or of the page number on my phone so I can return to it later or I bend the corner of the page <gasps> up to remind me to do that later <laughs> oh my god you bad person you're one of them that's, that's an absolute no-no in my world <laughs> I actually can't believe you do that I'm quite... <laughs> my books are ruined I'm quite shocked I really am <laughs> Yeah, but I do it. I do it all in the pursuit of learning. You do it with love. Oh, no, no. That's, oh, I don't know if we could be friends anymore. (laughs) You need a new podcast partner. Louise turns the corner of her book pages. Shocker. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll move on. I'll let that slide for the moment. So, (laughs) So why don't we look at just a few core things that anyone who's thinking about doing this work needs to bear in mind. And I suppose we should also make it clear that you're a line specialist, aren't you? Mm. So for listeners who might be new to editorial work, why don't you tell us what that actually means? Sure. So line editing, as I define it anyway, is stylistic work. I'm looking at the words, sentences and paragraphs to make sure they flow well, that the narrative viewpoint's intact, that the writing is clear and engaging and ensuring that the prose is captivating, that all the words count and that there aren't too many of them. (laughs) That's a nice summary. Good. Yeah. And so, but you work exclusively for independent authors. Um, So we're going to be focusing on that side of freelance work today, rather than working directly with publishers. Yeah, that's right. All my clients are indie authors. Okay, then. So, so the first thing I'd like to know is, what do you think is distinctive about editing this genre of fiction? So I think of it in terms of transgression and twists. That's what, for me, sets it apart. So the the transgression, the rule bending, the law bending, the the law breaking, the the offence. The murder. (laughs) Yes, more often than not. Only you can say it like that. So the transgression is what lies at the foundation of the story. And then the plot twists, the surprises are there to add the magic and that's what I love about a great thriller or crime novel I think that's what sets this genre apart from others yeah that that makes sense to me definitely yeah so well then the second thing I'd like to ask is what does a good line editor need to be looking out for and and I mean that broadly because I know it's a difficult question to answer in a short podcast (laughs) but if you could sum it up well I think 
Fundamentally, at sentence level, a good editor needs to help the author produce a taught narrative and riveting dialogue that compels the reader to ask, who done it? What did they do? How did they do it? And why did they do it? And no matter how well the story is structured broadly, if the line work is shoddy, readers are less likely to engage, less likely to care. Okay, but no, I'm not letting you off that easily, Harmony. <laughs> you need to define shoddy. You're a hard taskmaster, Cal. <laughs> you said broad. I gave you broad, woman. Okay, seriously, though, um, in my experience, beginner and emerging authors um, are prone to three main problems. First, overwriting, which can damage the pace and the mood. Second, over-revealing, which can destroy the suspense. And third, under-planning, which can make a plot mundane or dull or even implausible. So those are the things that I'm broadly looking out for at line level. Okay, all right then. So when you mentioned implausibility, um, that issue there, it did remind me of when we had Tim Storm on as a guest on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Now, what was that term that he used? That's that's a perfect um, point you've pulled out there. Um, unearned writing is what Tim right. calls it. So when things are just a little too convenient, like mm -hmm. a character's able to get into their foe's laptop or phone and there's no, and there's conveniently no password, mm -hmm. which is unlikely, but allows the story to move forward. Yeah, and re readers end up feeling sort of cheated or disengaged when that happens. Mm. I, I mean, I know I do, because although it's fiction, it's not fantasy. And, and so I do expect the world building to, to be certain rules that I'm familiar with. Exactly. And when you when you don't, because the writers use shortcuts, you lose faith in the story and, and, and then you can start to switch off or to scan. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then. So my third question is, what do you think new entrants to the field need to study if they're moving into this genre? Not if they're proofreading, but if they're stylistically line editing. So I always recommend reading the genre a lot and doing this alongside your study of fiction line craft, because as with any fiction editing job, regardless of genre, you need to understand concepts such as narrative viewpoint, register, psychic distance, showing versus telling, and the foundations of strong dialogue. And more specifically, you can learn how suspense works at line level and which tools and literary devices you can use or help your authors to use at line level to support that suspense. And not just suspense, actually, there are tools that can help keep the scenes pacing, dynamic, and inject drama and being able to show an author how to use those can turn a mediocre novel into a cracking read that's absolutely ready for those readers. Mm. I'm so glad I'm not a fiction editor honestly <laughs> I say this every time but, ugh, so not my thing but lucky you since you mentioned suspense I'm going to give your course a plug drum roll <laughs> the suspense trifecta <laughs> thank you yes. my lovely yes that's a line editing course that will be ready later in the year and includes practice questions and model answers based on real pieces of work I've done for clients oh that would be great I absolutely love being able to see how other editors have worked on a piece of text even even if I know it's subjective yeah yeah I think I, I do too yeah right so let's talk about one of our favorite topics now another drum roll please Yes, it's marketing. Marketing. <laughs> <laughs> because if you want to get hired for a particular kind of work, you need the people offering that kind of work to hire you, which means you need to be found. We've said this many times before. Yeah. Now, we both know that people have different preferences when it comes to marketing. So this isn't a judgment call. Instead, for my penultimate question, how do you do your marketing? So how do you make it work so that crime fiction and thriller authors 
find you? So I think the easiest place to start is with your website. That's key for me. I make absolutely clear that this is my specialism. And I think that's meant I'm more likely to get asked to quote for a project than a generalist because I'm evidencing a specific interest in the genre. So, so well, that's how you convince people once they've landed on your site. But you know what I'm going to say? <laughs> I, do. I do. How do you get them there? <laughs> now, we're talking about indie authors here, and that means being visible to them. Yeah, and the key to that is something else you and I are overly, um, overtly passionate about. <laughs> overly passionate about. Overly passionate. I, don't, I don't think we're overly passionate no, about. No, you, are... you, you can't be too passionate about <laughs> this. No. Um, and that's content marketing, blog posts, podcasts, videos, content, stuff that shows rather than tells an interest and expertise in the specific genre or subject. And I do what you do. I funnel all that stuff into topic specific spaces, web pages in a resource library or, or a learning center. And, and the thing is, anyone can set themselves up as an editor. So actually proving to potential clients via our website that we really know our stuff is hard. Yeah, yeah. But that's what this content does, right? Exactly. It's niche and it solves problems because it answers the questions my potential thriller writers might type into the search engines and Google then finds my content or my answers and leads those authors to me. And then once they see all those resources that demonstrate your knowledge, you're proving that you're fit for purpose. Yeah, just like you do. It takes time and commitment to do that, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. we, we both know that. But every piece of solution-based content we create can be used in perpetuity. That's what I love about it. Like mm -hmm. this podcast episode, we had to plan, schedule, write and record it. But now we've, we've or when there comes a point in a few minutes when we've done it, <laughs> we've done it. That's it. Yeah. It's there. Dusted, done and dusted there forever. Yeah. yeah. So my fifth and final question is staying with the business side of things, because, and I know you're with me in this, if you're going to be a self-employed editor, regardless of what you're editing, you need to have your business head on. So what are your top tips for being a successful freelance editor or proofreader? So first, I'd say make time for marketing, even when everything's going swimmingly. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. And it absolutely it's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. because being self-employed means never assuming that today's client will be tomorrow's client even if you've been working together for years. Yeah. Because you just don't know, do you? You just don't. No. You just don't. You know, a client might no longer have the budget for your services or they might decide they don't want to write anymore or they might just give up writing that genre yeah. you know yeah could change yeah or if it's a publisher um they might trim their freelance list or your main contact might leave so it's best to promote your business regularly yeah definitely and whatever method of promotion that you favor you should yeah. keep at it yeah yeah and the next thing I always encourage is talking in terms of being a specialist, even if you specialize, even if um, you specialize in quite a lot of subjects or genres. And because potential clients don't search for editors who can edit anything, they often have a subject or genre in mind. And so using the language of specialism helps you get noticed. I'm very niche, but even if I wasn't, I'd still make sure my website was organized such that people can identify multiple specialisms. And that's what you do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I actually organise my site by client and subject type. So the nonfiction business books written by indie authors, the educational texts offered by publishers, 
and the public facing text and messaging created by businesses. Yeah, and that makes great sense because then your multiple client types understand which part of your site is relevant to them. Mm. So my last tip is to have an open, global and inclusive mindset that can override prescriptivism. Perhaps there's a little more leeway in fiction. I'm not sure. Mm. I, I get the sense there is perhaps. I think but, so, yeah. But language preferences are never static, are they? So some of the queries I'm raising now weren't on my radar even two years ago. Yeah, that's so true. And it's true for my nonfiction work as well. Mm. Though I think I'm more likely to be sort of more tightly bound to style guides for my publisher work than you are with your indie authors. Yeah. Which reminds me, I'm actually going to ask a sixth bonus question. Given, <laughs> given that you're working with indie authors on fiction, do you ever use a style guide? I'm kind of in love with the Chicago Manual of Style. Uh-huh. I won't die on a hill for it, and I don't feel I need to know it inside out, but I think it's packed with fantastically sensible advice on lots of little things that come up in fiction, like punctuation conventions or how to render numbers and, uh, and, and how to use dashes. And, and, I, and I just adapt anything that needs specific British English styling if I'm working for a client who wants that, or if I just think for the sense of, uh, for the purpose of, of flow and engagement, I just want to ignore a, a particular piece of style guidance, I will. Yeah, yeah. And there's a perfected style sheet for it too, isn't there? I know. It's to die for when it comes to consistency <laughs> checking. Yes, isn't it? Yeah. Well, thanks, Louise. That's it. Five plus one things you need to know if you want to line edit crime and thrillers. And that's a wrap for this episode. So thank you so much for listening to us again. If you'd like to help support the editing podcast, you can join our Patreon community for only £3 a month. We'd love to have you on board. So if you're interested, hop on over to patreon.com forward slash editing podcast. We'll make sure we pop a link in the show notes for you. In the meantime, she's been Denise. And she's been Louise. Join us again next time. Bye. Bye.